Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world, bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors, covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. And friends, welcome into episode nine. We're making progress in this winter series of 2122. In fact, thank goodness for those of us in the weather office, this has been a challenging couple of weeks here with the big nor'easter and blizzard up in the northeast and New England parts of the country last week. And then this past week with this big monumental storm that brought snow all the way from Texas up into New England as we get to the end of the podcast our director of forecast operations dan DePodwin, will join me and we'll kind of preview what's coming up this coming weekend and into early next week a little bit of a break for those of us at accuweather thank goodness but first up in our first race of focus segment wanted to go back and kind of recap ams the american meteorological society annual meeting which just took place John Porter, our vice president in charge of forecast operations and our chief forecaster, is going to join me. Not only going to recap AMS, but honor one of our great forecasters of AccuWeather who got a tremendous award last week. That's coming up next. Friends, sit back and relax as we talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. If you remember three episodes ago, we welcomed AMS President Mike Farah into Everything Under the Sun to give a preview of the AMS conference. And so we decided that after a couple of weeks, we would like to get an update on exactly what went on on that. And certainly something that went on that we're all extremely proud of here at AccuWeather was the honoring of one of our great meteorologists who has uh, reduced his time to part-time, but he's still a major influence in the things that you see in here in AccuWeather, especially when it still comes to the tropical and hurricane situation in our forecasting. That is uh, Dan Kutlowski, our expert senior forecaster and our chief meteorologist in terms of uh, tropical and hurricane forecasting over the last couple of years, received an, an amazing award, the Charles L. Mitchell Award at the AMS conference. And and we welcome in Vice President and Chief Meteorologist John Porter, along with Dan Kutlowski, to talk about that award and a lot of the other topics that were covered at AMS and about our weather pattern, how crazy it's been, right here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. It is my pleasure to welcome in uh, both Dan and John to Everything Under the Sun. And, uh, you know, we at AccuWeather have had a proud history of being really part of this amazing weather enterprise that we have in this country in terms of the combination of public service, National Weather Service, government issued and run forecasting operations, uh, the private sector, which 60 years ago, AccuWeather became at the forefront of that. And of course, uh, the university sector uh, with research and, and learning and that and that kind of three-legged stool as uh, our 
founder and CEO, Dr. Joel Myers, always like to call it, has certainly served our enterprise and weather well over the last several decades. And one of the things that I've been proud of our company is that we've had some really influential people in this business doing great weather forecasting, great communicating, and great teaching for such a long time. And as we welcome in both John and Dan, there's twofold reason. One, I wanted to get a bit of a recap on the AMS uh, meeting, the annual meeting that just took place within the last year. And one of the reasons that we wanted to bring Dan in, John, is because our friend Dan Kotlowski, whose career has spanned over four decades here at AccuWeather, was the recipient of an amazing award and recognition by the American Meteorological Society. John, take it away and talk about that amazing award that Dan received. Well, that's right, uh, Dina. We're so proud of uh, Dan's many accomplishments uh, over his extensive career here at AccuWeather. And I was just mentioning to Dan a little bit before we, uh, before we came on the air here that there's just a handful of awards that are provided by the American Meteorological Society every year. So earning this type of distinction, Dan being specifically recognized for his contributions to the field of meteorology and forecasting and weather communications, and especially in bridging the gap between, as you mentioned, Dean, the weather weather industry and the National Weather Service, which is an area that uh, Dan has been very active in. And we all know Dan is a hurricane expert. He is uh, Ben AccuWeather's hurricane expert for decades, forecasted so many storms and their impacts. But he's also highly respected, not only by our uh, the public that require that uh, uses his forecasts and the companies who use his insights, but also the experts at the National Hurricane Center. And Dan has on a couple of different times been uh, recognized and, and, and asked to come to the Hurricane Center to work on ways that industry can collaborate more effectively with the Hurricane Center and the Weather Service. So this is a very well-deserved award, and it's also a very significant accomplishment. And Dan, big congratulations to you. Thanks a lot, uh, John. Yeah, I, um, again, (laughs) very humbled by uh, people, past people who have gotten this award. Uh, Neil Frank, uh, Hurricane Director, had this award. Of course, our own Elliot Abrams also had this award uh, uh, as well. So, uh, but um, historically, this has gone out to people who have been, you know, again, <laughs> hardworking uh, meteorologists. In fact, the, the the actual person who's named after this, the uh, uh, Charles uh, L. Mitchell, he actually was a meteorologist with the U.S. Weather Bureau in Washington D.C. back uh, early, uh, I think, somewhere in nineteen, somewhere between 1900 and 1930. And uh, again, he, he was like, uh, as you pointed out, back then uh, you had to do your own research. You had to do, you had to really basically uh, dig into the weather and really understand it. And back then uh, there was very little knowledge about a lot of stuff that we now know much better, you know, because of all the scientific breakthroughs. So uh, I'm just really humbled by getting this award and, and all the accolades that have gone with it. Let's just make sure that we understand the the name of the award, the Charles L. Mitchell Award. The explanation is was for exceptional forecast services provided to stakeholders for over 40 years, as exemplified by Dan's unwavering support of the broadcast sector. And I know this 
from firsthand. I mean, from the years that I've worked with Dan, I mean, he did not shy away from wanting to go on TV and radio. Um, I know there are some of us in this business that after a while, we just we're done because sometimes it's hard to deal with the media. They don't always listen to what we say. They take something, one little word of what we say or a couple of words, and then they glean their own information out of it. And it can be tough. I mean, I've been doing this for a couple of decades and I'm already sometimes fatigued, but it's that unwavering support of the broadcast sector. And then the second part of it is for training of meteorologists. And I've mentioned this to Dan personally. Dan was very supportive of me making that transition from more of an office role to an on-air meteorologist and helped me kind of find the words and find the way to do it. And I'm not the only one. I mean, there's a list, a litany of dozens probably that he's done that for. Dan is, uh, has obviously accumulated significant experience over those decades. And he is always sharing that with our, uh, and our entire team mentoring, uh, team members. I've been the beneficiary as have you Dean of, of, uh, of Dan's guidance. I've learned a lot from him working with uh, Dan in different ways, actually over the years, when I used to run AccuWeather for business for several years, Dan was one of our experts routinely being requested by our customers to participate in their conference calls and their planning because of his ability to translate very complex science into what it means for people and how people need to plan and react. And uh, that mentoring is one of the greatest parts of the AccuWeather tradition where our team members who have a lot of experience share that very graciously with uh, early and mid-career professionals professionals and that's how we how we build the next generation of of experts and Dan is always willing to do that and uh at all times of the day or night well Dan, um, yeah, Dan just uh, I know it's it's hard when we're saying all these nice things about you Kalowski <laughs> and, and I know I don't, I'm no mean to put you on the spot we're going to ask you some real hard hitting questions here in a second but uh you know I know that you've been kind of easing back from your full-time hours of AccuWeather, you've still been massively involved in our helping shape our hurricane forecast. And here we are, first uh, week of February, and people are probably already uh, wanting to know what that uh, hurricane season looks like going forward. We'll, we'll save that for another time. But um, I, I know I know you're not necessarily, in some ways, you're like me. You're not about this for the for the notoriety. You're not about this, about seeing your name in print or hearing it kind of cool when you do every once in a while, but it's it's more about the personal satisfaction of helping people protect their property and save their lives, which is right in line with AccuWeather's mission and core. And you've been doing that for over 40 years, Dan. Uh, again, like I said, I'm very humbled by this. Uh, most of us that are in this business are not into it for the fame and fortune. We're into it because we love the weather. I mean, uh, even though I'm semi-retired, I still look at the weather every day. I still get, you know, requests from friends and relatives. I've got a lot of friends and relatives that uh, live across the Midwest. So obviously I've been getting uh, bombarded with all kinds of uh, requests, but certainly, uh, you know, once you become a meteorologist, you, you, you keep it in your blood until you die. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, so many things to talk about with you, you gentlemen right now, especially coming through uh, another monumental couple of weeks of weather with one of uh, the most historic and impactful kind of blizzard nor'easters that we've 
seen in a long time heading right up. I know we're very proud of the way AccuWeather was out in the forefront with that and made the adjustments that we needed to. And then you follow it up with this long duration storm that started out in the plains in the Midwest, still going. I mean, St. Louis uh, had a break and then they're back into the snow as we record this on Thursday and they're again in terrible conditions. Um, and then this system is spreading eastward with rain that'll turn over to ice and snow up into the northeast of New England. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, which also shows kind of a little pattern change that we're going in, uh, which brings that storm track back into uh, places that were just cold and not necessarily so stormy. So very challenging couple of weeks. Dean, as you mentioned, this storm um, last week, the blizzard across the uh, north parts of the Northeast, of course, we always were talking about that as being a New England special. We were most confident of that being uh, the highest impacts being in New England at a sharp Western gradient, still significant snow as we forecast uh, very accurately, well in advance, as you pointed out, Dean, uh, from New York City down to Philadelphia and all the way down the, uh, the Jersey and Delaware shore, even into Eastern Virginia as well. Um, so that was struck by the uh, intensity of that storm, how quickly it, uh, it really intensified and uh, the amount of wind that accompanied the snow as well. And we were talking about wind and coastal flooding impacts, beach erosion as well. And I, I'm, as you know, we talked about on the show before, I'm from Connecticut. I have a lot of family in Southern New England. Um, and the video I was getting from them, just really impressive about the wind. And uh, there were, you know, six foot drifts in some places. So we went from a storm that the consideration was it was either snow or no snow. And right. there, was a big, there was a big gradient between uh, those snow amounts, as we had talked about in advance, to now a whole different storm system with multiple pieces this week and big issues around where's it going to snow? Where's the significant ice going to set up? And how will the ice change over, or how will the rain change over to ice as colder air arrives in parts of the Northeast? So we've been dealing with a wide variety of dangerous weather that's caused a lot of problems on roadways. And Dan, it seems to me that um, with this um, Plains Midwest and then into the East Storm, this is the second winter in a row where we're seeing a lot of these long-term situations. Like uh, I remember we had two storms here in Pennsylvania and State College last year that it flaked for a better part of 48 hours. It just kept, you know, little impulses running along those boundaries. And this is another similar situation. So I don't remember, am I wrong? I don't remember this as frequent as we're seeing it now in the pattern that we've seen over the last couple of years. I don't remember this kind of situation as frequent in the last couple of decades. Uh, am, am I right or wrong? I look at the long-term pattern and look at the upper pattern and so forth. And, and, Currently, the pattern right now is allowing a lot of cold air to uh, spill from the Canadian um, provinces all the way southward into the United States. And in fact, the mean upper level wind flow over the eastern part of the country, even back into the Rockies, is northwest to southeast. So we're discharging a lot of cold weather uh, southeastward. And again, this was reminiscent of last year as well, although I would argue that the cold is actually a little bit more severe over the Northeast and what it was last year. I agree with a lot that. Of the cold, yeah. A lot of the cold was uh, uh, situated like over the Northern Rockies, Northern Plains last year, which it still is to some degree this year, but it really has uh, moved Southeastward. And, and over the course of the next um, few weeks here, uh, we're still going to be under the gun as far as the cold weather is concerned. So when you keep cold air over an area persistently, uh, you're bound to, to have storms go into that cold air and 
cause all kinds of mischief. And that's exactly what we have going on right now. And the impacts have been uh, really incredible because I think we're seeing a shift in dynamics as we've been talking about with the pandemic, where there's a lot more regional travel. In other words, instead of people hopping on a plane to take a shorter trip, they are uh, looking at the, a situation where they're kind of hopping in the cars. And so they're trying to travel by car and bus and truck. And obviously with all the problems that we've been seeing with supply side issues and shortages of uh, truckers and all this kind of stuff, the travel on the ground is extremely important for even more reasons than say maybe it was uh, last couple of years. So we're seeing a lot more problems with people getting stuck. We had the issue down in Virginia. We've had a couple of icy events closer to New York City in the last month or so that have kind of made sure uh, made people just kind of stuck in their tracks. Certainly saw immobilization of travel in the last storm in the Northeast. And we've been seeing that in some places in the Midwest. And that is compounded, too, with a lack of people cleaning up the snow, uh, maybe less experience in how to clean up the snow. I think, you know, we're giving great information to a lot of these departments of transportation. But if they don't have the people to get out on the roads and the streets to work it or know what they're doing when they're working it, it can create major problems. And we've been seeing that. Time and time again, John, do you have a, a few comments about that aspect? Yeah, I think it's been a, a bad conspiring of multiple factors that uh, that you um, listed there, Dean, that's been causing some of these challenges. I mean, the supply chain it was already very stressed for a wide variety of factors after the pandemic. And now we're getting into a situation where, um, where in fact, trucking companies have faced significant issues because of workers being sick with covid Uh, And now add to that another layer of complexity with these big widespread winter storms like we've been dealing with this week. We were talking about earlier this this week that our concern about this storm is multiple portions of key interstates uh, across the central part of the U.S. could be closed at the same time due to heavy snow or heavy icing or other problems. And that uh, there could be difficulty getting products in and out of the central part of the United States to their in that region or also to the East Coast that could last several days. And that's a concern because stores are already having a hard time keeping the products that consumers want on the shelves. So um, that's been another complexity to this sort of just-in-time supply chain. The supply chains today, they don't have any margin for error. No, razor-thin margins on that. They're razor-thin and they've got to be there. And if, if you have weather if, if companies aren't prepared with weather in the right way, which is why our, our AccuWeather for business services are so important, then it could be at like a domino effect that one weather problem in one place can start cascading all through a company's supply chain. Talking with Senior Vice President John Porter and our Chief Meteorologist and uh, Senior Meteorologist, our expert uh, for hurricanes and tropical weather, Dan Kotlowski. Dan, we mentioned this uh, when we were talking about your award, but you know, back in the day, you were lucky to get one or two models every 12 hours and there was uh, coverage uh, problems. And now you can get a model every minute if you want, it seems. Are we better off, Dan Kutlowski, with all this more information? Or do sometimes we get so caught up in trying to figure out which is the best model that we lose sight of the actual meteorology of it all? and not maybe pay attention to things that we should be paying attention to, like climatology and 
the way certain geography works in an area which may not be necessarily modeled the best by the models themselves. My my opinion is I think uh, the more information, the better better it is. It's a management problem, though. As a meteorologist, you have all this information, so you have to figure out a way to manage all of this. One of the things that uh, was brought out in the latest latest AMS conference is the fact that. that um, there's now new technique, you know, new AI intelligence using intelligence uh, in computer modeling and actually helping the 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 model actually helping computers or making computers uh, help you make those decisions. So then you see four or five different uh, versions of a, a computer model or uh, four or five different um, models. Uh, you know, artificial intelligence uh, may allow you to pinpoint which model is doing the best. So. Uh, I think as we go forward over the next 10 years or so, that AI part of the forecasting is going to become a very, very valuable part of our ingenuity in, in, in helping uh, people to make really good decisions. And so I don't doubt that AccuWeather will be at the forerunner and will be at the forefront of that AI technology. Of course, uh, there's a lot about meteorology that can be numbers. Um, and we talked about this uh, in the last couple of storms where you can judge a storm by the amount of snow, but you have other factors. Um, where is the temperature? What is the wind doing? Like uh, John said in the last blizzard, uh, those snowfall rates in combination with that strong wind, it was just horrendous. And we're seeing that in this Midwest storm a little bit now. But um, I think the key is getting people to understand what the numbers mean to the way it's sensed on the ground, whether how the impact is for, I mean, you can be snowing in 32, but if it's, uh, if it's already been the 40 degrees for several days, I mean, it's going to be a different scenario in March than if that was happening in, in December. So maybe not only which are the models better used for the AI stuff, but maybe how it actually will be sensing on the ground for people and for truckers and for everybody else that has to be doing something that's weather-based, maybe that is part of the AI equation too, John. Yeah. And, and we, uh, as Dan said, we're leading the charge in terms of integration of machine learning and AI into our forecasts. And that's already a, a component of how we produce the world's most accurate forecast. And as Dan said, we're going to keep enhancing that going forward. We have a whole team that is dedicated on that. Our data science team uh, really uh, leveraging the latest machine learning to enhance forecasts. And I think that's going to be a continued growth area going forward. Dean, as you said, it's so much to me about the impact. And we look at our forecasts, the ones that we put on all of our media platforms, our AccuWeather.com, AccuWeather mobile, free mobile app, um, as how are we painting the story for, for people about what the weather is going to look like and feel like? That's why we put in, for example, during the blizzard, things like uh, extreme snowfall rates can strand motorists because you and I and several other members of our team are really concerned that two to four inches of snow per hour, it's way too much for road crews to be able to keep up with. And with that recognition that this wasn't a storm that was 30 or 31 degrees. This no. was a storm that it was snowing with air so temperatures cold. in New England in the teens. Yeah. Add to that wind gusts over 50 miles per hour, AccuWeather real fuel temperatures between minus 10 and minus 20. If you get stuck in that kind of a situation and you have to get out of your car, you have a hypothermia risk in a matter of minutes. And so that's why did it's a 30 degrees and snowing hard is one thing, as you mentioned in March, but in the uh, you know end of January, 
with those kinds of harsh conditions, that's where it became life-threatening across New England. Another thing I want to add to this is social science is now being studied very closely. The, the government sp- is spending tens of millions of dollars now on social science. In other words, trying to figure out what really um, allow, allows people to make good decisions right. and why they make poor decisions, okay? Uh, one comment about the winter uh, weather. I think we should be uh, promoting, uh, again, uh, just like we do in hurricane uh, in the hurricane season, that you should have a hurricane plan during the hurricane season, but you should also have a winter plan as well. In other words, everything, if you're traveling in this weather, you should have a, sh- uh, a, sh- a small shovel blankets. Kitty litter or something <laughs> well, to, get, if you got uh, right, to get some some traction, right? And yeah, some exactly. Back your exactly. So so that's going to be that's the big, big thing that I think we need to remind people if you're going to travel. And a lot of people are traveling in cars because they're afraid of uh, flying to ship right. because of the pandemic. And that's another reason why we got to we got to still tell people you got to have that winter uh, kit that will allow you to get through the winter if you're going to be driving. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so a important. very good point. Yep. Um, real quickly, in the last few minutes, anything else to you two uh, being part of the uh, annual AMS a meeting here in the last couple of weeks. Anything else besides the AI enhancements and modeling and forecasting? Anything else that tripped your trigger in terms of the things that you want to talk about that uh, came out of the, the AMS this year? Well, I think it's important to point out, I, I really, um, I think the AMS and the volunteers who put together this conference, um, which is it's the largest weather conference in the world, more than 5,000 uh, participants um, in this, and it's a great opportunity, as you said, Dean, for the um, weather industry to collaborate with our academic and, and government partners. Uh, they had to quickly move this to a full, fully remote conference. I was planned to be an in-person or hybrid, really, uh, down at Houston. And due to the impact of the COVID-19 Omicron surge, they had to, in a matter of weeks, move the entire event remote. So so many volunteers making that happen in order to be able to still ensure that scientists can share information together, build on the science and keep enhancing the the value that we all deliver to society. That's an important part of the AMS. So people did a really great job making um, that happen. And I was on a virtual panel talking about um, the collaboration between industry and governments around the world. And of course, AccuWeather leads in that area. We have uh, arrangements with over 60 government weather services around the world to integrate their official weather warnings into our products and services. And uh, we had a great conversation with other leaders uh, from around the world about how to strengthen those kinds of partnerships based upon the success that we have had in terms of uh, helping governments get the message out. So um, it was great to be collaborating again with all of our our colleagues around the world, but we missed the in-person capability. But the AMS and the volunteers did such a great job of figuring out how to adapt to that challenge and still have a very productive conference. I just want to point out again, uh, just same thing that John said. This this is the uh, premier uh, weather conference. I, I you know I want anybody that's out there that that are meteorologists or weather weenies, whatever. <laughs> uh, certainly, this should be one of your uh, on your bucket list to attend. It's it's just a phenomenal conference. Uh, Thousands of, of posters and papers were basically presented through the whole thing. And uh, I'm still reading some of the uh, conference uh, 
um, uh, presentations that I couldn't because what happens is there's so many presentations, you don't have time to see them all. So, right. but, but I just want to point out one thing that's important to, to realize now, because of how fast we can get the scientific information to people who really need it, we're now seeing research presented to us on this past season's hurricanes and wow. this past season's storms. It's amazing wow. how many t- people talked about the flooding in Tennessee and about the tornadoes we had in across the deep South this year and the, and the hurricane season that we just got ourselves through. So um, it's just amazing how fast we now have the capability of getting that information out fast and uh, get people to think about things freshly in their minds. You know, 30 years ago, you wouldn't see a paper written on last season's hurricane or tornado season until about three or four years later. Now it's almost like weeks or sometimes just a couple of months after they have occurred. Well, we do our, we do our own postmortems about a a storm within days to a week because yeah, that information is there. It's uh, It's much more and it's much more easily to get the verifications so much quickly. So yeah, amazing changes in this field. Again, congratulations to the winner of the Charles L. Mitchell Award, Daniel Kitlowski, for a meritorious 40 years of service and unwavering support of the broadcast sector and a training of other meteorologists. Dan, it was uh, great to have you with us. Congratulations on the award. John, thanks for being with us, too, to talk about it and your folks, uh, both the, your recollections of AMS and thoughts about the last uh, couple of weeks, which have been quite crazy. We'll take a look ahead at the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond in our final segment when we return. Friends, this is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you. Join AccuWeather meteorologist Bernie Reno Monday through Friday for Weather Insider. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And welcome back into Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com as we continue on. We're going to take a few moments as we drop this on midday Friday to recap a little bit the past week or two and look at the weather for the upcoming weekend and the week ahead. I'm bringing in AccuWeather meteorologist and our director of forecast operations, Dan DePodwin, who was part of our uh, 3D segment last week. You know, Dan, I think you and I were just talking as uh, we dropped this podcast on Friday, coming to the end of a long stretch of two weeks of winter that you know, that first storm went up into the northeast of New England last week and into the weekend. And then we've had this monumental storm out from the plains up into the northeast with a round of uh, frozen precipitation that's just uh, coming into places like Boston and New York City as this drops midday into the afternoon on Friday. It's been a long two weeks of weather, my friend, and I'm pretty sure most of us in the office are glad it seems like that's coming to an end here over the next couple of days as we make a transition into the weekend itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's great to be able to provide information to people over the last couple of weeks with really impactful storms. But it's also nice to say that it looks like for most of the country, actually, we'll go into at least a several day stretch of quieter weather as we head into next week. I was impressed with just how widespread the precipitation was with this last storm. The radar from Thursday morning, you don't too often see snow stretching from basically the Texas-Mexico border all the way up to the St. Lawrence Valley in Canada, all because of one storm all stretched across that area, basically the entire eastern 
half of the country had precipitation yesterday morning, a really impressive storm overall. Yeah. And you think about that. We had a couple of storms like that last year where it was just kind of this conveyor belt of moisture with a couple of uh, separate areas of low pressure, but that would kind of follow along the same path. So I know we had two storms like that here in State College where it just flaked for two days straight. You know, some of these areas uh, and the thing that's made this problematic down on the, uh, you know, along the I-95 corridor from Boston down through New York has been how much rain they got ahead of it. I mean, we woke up on this Friday morning that this podcast is dropping and temperatures were in the mid upper 50s around New York City. Of course, that's uh, dropping now. And, and it's just been it's just been an amazing scenario, uh, especially in the areas that got hit so hard. Boston's going to be in a real world of hurt later today, tonight with these icy conditions. The good news is that energy does finally move off to the east and southeast. I mean, I think we'll keep some rain and drizzle this weekend down in northern Florida and along the uh, the coast there in uh, Georgia and South Carolina and southern North Carolina. The other thing we got to watch is a little impulse going through Friday night into Saturday morning. Folks uh, near Chicago and uh, metro uh, Detroit, maybe just on the eastern edge of that, but certainly western Michigan and down into Uh, parts of indiana and then there's another clipper that could be on its heels as we go later in the weekend early part of next week in those uh, northern tier spots in the great lakes and up into the northeast but the rest of the country this weekend and into the early part of next week looks pretty darn quiet absolutely i think a pretty quiet stretch no major storm systems as you were mentioning dean i think we're back on the clipper train into next week with probably as you mentioned too there's probably two more during next week so active clipper train and that usually brings a you know, somewhere in the two to four, maybe three to six inches of snow to some areas. And that's more prone to, you know, the parts of the Great Lakes and Midwest. But it looks like we'll quiet down and really not, you know, it's it's cold across the northern tier. And it will be turning a bit milder and moderating in places that have had the ice across the south and parts of Texas and into the Tennessee Valley. A lot of power outages in parts of western Tennessee, like the Memphis area. And good news for them, it'll be quiet and turning milder for them to clean up and recover from this uh, shot of uh, icy and weather certainly be careful this weekend especially great lakes still another i think night and day of that and then or another night and morning and then into the northeast the next couple of mornings are going to be icy and dicey as we get some relaxation in the cold and then it's back into the deep freeze at night especially the inland spots i think uh, you wake up every morning and you're gonna have a new slippery spot to deal with dan i know we've had a lot of slippery spots in these forecasts over the last couple of weeks so great uh, the team has worked hard and i know you are proud of them and i think we're all ready for a, a couple of weeks vacation although it doesn't seem like it's a couple of weeks maybe a week of weather vacation with a less active pattern across the northern hemisphere here this next week ahead we hope we get a few days break it's you know after all the middle of winter really the coldest time of year for most places late january early february the the climatological when we expected to be the coldest and stormiest in many parts of the country. So I'm sure we're not out of the woods yet, but uh, we will. We, you know, we've got a short month here in February, right? So it can't be right. as it can't be as long as January was. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. Uh, but I, you know, as we mentioned actually in the last segment, uh, Dan and and John did that. We're still going to be seeing some cold air pockets drop here, and so. It's not going to be a flip back. And and I think we could get uh, when we get later on in February to March, we could get pretty uh, anomalous again where we're getting big swings, high and low temperatures. And that always creates some storminess issues. Dan DePodwin, our director of forecast operations. Thanks for joining us on everything under the sun. We'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure, Dean. Thanks. 
All right, friends, be careful out there this weekend, especially through the Great Lakes in the Northeast. We're still going to have some cold temperatures and some slippery conditions, especially overnight and into the mornings. But enjoy the little bit of a break that's ahead from the true stormy weather, although we'll keep an eye on those clipper systems off along the uh, northern tier there. Going to keep an eye on my AccuWeather uh, colleagues here. Our team has really been putting pedal to the metal and keeping you very well informed about these winter blasts, these winter wallops that have been coming fast and furious over the last couple of weeks. We'll take a little bit of a break, but keep an eye on what could be a very active mid to late winter period. And when we come back together, we'll see uh, and talk about anywhere that the weather meets your life and all those implications as we look at uh, things like gardening ahead. Is there anything where things are going to be relaxing a little bit with the cold over the next couple of weeks where we could do some things to get ready there? Also take a look at the skies and astronomy. Had some interesting conjunctions of the moon and the planets of late, but it's just been hard to see with all this storminess. Those are some of the topics ahead. If you've got an idea for a topic or a question or something you want us to delve into here on Everything Under the Sun, you can email us at podcast at AccuWeather.com. Podcast at AccuWeather.com is our email address for questions, comments, suggestions. Thanks to our executive production team, including executive producers Ken Prell, Andrew Robb. Thanks to our hundreds of team members at AccuWeather for working so hard and being so dedicated. It's great to represent them. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore. Have a great weekend and early part of next week. We'll talk to you at the end of next week with our next episode, episode 10 of our winter series of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com.